Hello and welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly podcast with April Lee Janes and Jessica Outram. Hello, everyone. Today we are going to look at the question of what people, places, arts, and things inspire you. And what is the magic that happens when we let it get personal? April and I want to share with you some of the examples of our work and what inspired it and what inspires us. So April, what is the magic that happens when we let it get personal? Boy, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about that because one of the things that I strive for is to just try to go deeper all the time. The power of getting personal, I think that's sometimes the source of the fear. Because, wow, if you put yourself out on the page or on the paper or in the creation that you're doing, whether it's business or science or, or art, you're putting yourself out there to be judged. So personal can be a real challenge, I think. We have to be willing to be seen. But I think what I finally came to the realization was that it doesn't have to be autobiographical. And I watched that part of that Pixar series that you were talking about last night with my husband. Yeah. And I loved the story about the fellow who was writing about what it meant to him to not have his father as a child and his relationship with his brother. The emotion of that became the root of the story, but it wasn't, the story wasn't about him and his brother. It was about two elves in a magical land. So, but the truth of it was the, was the emotion, that bedrock piece of it. And I think that's what we're talking about when we're saying, let it be personal. Because when you are willing to tell your truth, that's how we recognize each other. That's how we connect. That's what attracts people in to whatever it is we're doing, whether it's our business or whether it's art. It's that truth, that bedrock mm -hmm. that we say, oh yeah, I recognize that person. That's part of my tribe. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we recognize that because they become who we, who we want to hang out with and we want to know more about. So for me, that was part of the, the idea of being personal. I was glad I watched that last night, knowing uh, that we were going to talk about this today. Yeah, and that is just such a such a good story telling example of how you can make the personal universal. He's the uh, writer who created the movie Onward, and I don't know if you've seen the movie or not. I've seen the movie, and it's just wonderful. I haven't yet. No, it, it, I really enjoyed it. What I what I liked about it too is the big moment that he included, but he had other little moments along the way too. And and the idea of you know what would you do if you got to have a conversation with someone you hadn't seen in a long time and or ever, like you know he didn't have really any memories. I loved thinking about that and the way he executed it with the team, because everything's a team approach there, was really beautifully, beautifully done. Robert McKee says, I, I took the story course about 20 years ago, Robert McKee's famous story course. He uh, did it in Toronto and my aunt and I went, and I don't know if you've heard of that one before, but it's 30 hours of lecture in three days. So you do 10 hours a day. And I was wow. just- spinning by the end of it because I was so excited by all the ideas and I took notes and notes and notes. I still have the notebook from where I took it. And I went up and I got him to sign my copy of the book story. And in it, he wrote, write the truth, Robert McKee. And then he signed it. And I think that that's really what we're trying to do when we're creating is it's, and, and I'd like to just do a little twist on that, that it's not necessarily the truth, but it's our truth in a particular moment, because the truth can change depending on our perspective. And my truth might be different from your truth. So it's not the truth. It's our own individual truth. 
And then of course you often hear the saying, write what you're interested in and, and then go out or write what you know. But Robert McKee would always say, write what you're interested in and then go out and know it. And really finding that, that relationship between what you're interested in and then going out to do that. So really interesting stuff. So when you, when you create then, what is the magic that happens when you get personal with your work? What have you noticed? There's a totally different energy in it. What's what's interesting was last night I posted on Instagram a picture that I did a little while ago. First time I had picked up acrylics and used them in a very long time. And it was like someone else was holding the paintbrush. Honestly, it was totally different than the way I paint with my watercolors. And I got thinking about that. Like, what? why is it so different? And then I watched the Pixar thing, which where he said, uh, the musician in it said, write for the emotional poetic body and not the brain. And it was like a, you know, bell went off. And I thought, that's it. When I paint in my watercolors, I'm tending to be more focused on the technique Mm -hmm. and less on the story that I'm trying to tell in the piece. And I've been struggling with that. And I think what it really is, is I have to change my medium I love the watercolor. It's a great way for me to explore how I want to compose something, perhaps the colors I want to use, but the energy get feels constricted inside a watercolor for me. Whereas if I pick up the acrylics or oils or my fiber, my fabric, which is what I really love working in, I get to a different place. It frees me up to get below that intellectual level and into that emotional level that I need to get to. And so that's the magic. I think when we have to learn those techniques. We have to learn the skills. We have to know how to do the science. I'm trying to get outside of the art field too, because this applies to everything, but we have to know how to do the science. We have to know how to create a business. We have to do all those things that require our creativity, how to plant a garden and fertilize it. But there comes a moment when we can finally let go of the rules. They're still in the background and say something that's true to us. And that's when it gets personal. Mm-hmm. And that's the power because I think the power isn't the power and how it impacts us. It's the power and the fact that it connects with someone else. I know you felt that when you wrote your play. So let's talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit because you just showed me a picture this morning of the set. I was blown away. And the fact that you sold this play out of, in for three weeks. And it, so there was power there, obviously. Yeah. And, and that was just my first big profound experience as a writer. It started, I had been invited to this theater company to help direct one act plays that were written by uh, writers across Canada. And as I was sitting in the audience, I thought, you know, that's something I could do that. I could write a play. So there again, we have that example of seeing peer samples, not me sitting watching, you know, these Broadway shows and things that are, you know, in the literary canon of plays but me watching plays written by you know real people I might pass on the street was my entry point to realizing I could do this too so I started writing a play called Once Upon a Rocking Chair and it was inspired by a tradition of girls week at the cottage so what our tradition was is my mom and her sisters and then the daughters so me and my cousins would all go up to the cottage every summer for a week and we would have a girls week and it started just with the mothers but then as the daughters came of age and we were you know into our 20s they started inviting us and it, I, I remember sitting there and it was on we'd be on a porch 
Um, we had a big screened in porch that looked over Georgian Bay. And I remember feeling in the moment how transformative it was to be with these two groups of women who were all related. And yet that was when we saw each other every year was during this time. We didn't really connect as much during in between. It was this intense week. And looking at life through the lens of these two generations, and I started thinking about what is happily ever after for us in our 20s? What are we striving and aching for? And look at how different it is for our mothers who are in their 50s. You know, how does that how does that change? How does what we want change from when we're in our 20s to what we want in our 50s? And that whole idea of, of women and the story of women being raised to have happily ever afters, nobody ever told us that that happily ever after vision changes later. And so the whole play is built around these six women and takes place on a porch in Northern Ontario. When I first wrote it, I was lucky that I was able to go through uh, a process where the company offered, and this was way back, I think it was in 2008, and the company offered a staged reading of the play. And they brought in two or three nights of audiences to watch actors read the play. The audience sat at tables with notepads and pens, and then there was a Q&A after, and then they offered me feedback. And then I took that feedback and I went away and I rewrote the play over the summer. And then um, I was invited to direct the play. And then the director, the artistic director invited me to use that within their company. And it was Stone Circle Theater in Ajax at the time with the incredible Ken Bond. And he was such a powerful mentor through the whole process. Even when I was doing the writing, I would send him my pages every week and he would send that descriptive feedback or he would model for me a little two, three lines of dialogue to show me how to pump something up. And so that was really that learning while I was doing, while I was creating was just so powerful. So then fast forward about 10 years later, I live in a new town here in Coburg, Ontario, and I'm part of Northumberland Players, which is a wonderful community theater organization that we have here. And I submitted the script to see if it was something they were interested in, in staging at the Firehall Theater and said with a little, um, with a little ask, I had an ask, I wanted to, to be sure that if they took it, I would have the opportunity to rewrite it again, because my thinking had changed in 10 years and my writing had changed and I wanted to to go back into the script. So uh, so I did that. So I went back and I rewrote parts of the play. Now the basic storyline is still there, looking at these three women and their three daughters. So, you know, mothers, daughters, sisters, the relationships. And then, you know, the, the matriarch of the family and how she she works into, into things. And it was, it was great, great fun. And then the play became part of our family story too. So, so this is the richness for me of the magic that happens when it becomes personal is it started off as something that was inspired by family. And then over time, it turned into something that inspired my family. When I was about to stage the play, which I think it was in 2017, um, the May, June part of the year, that February before, uh, my aunt, one of the one of the aunts that inspired one of the characters was diagnosed with cancer and she got very sick very quickly and she passed by April. So she kept saying though, in her final days, so it was very fast, it was very hard and it was very emotional. So here I am grieving for an aunt that I'm very close to directing a play where 
a character that's inspired by her is walking across the stage, literally. And it was just so profound. And so she kept saying to everybody, her, her words were, I'll see you at the play. I'll see you at the play. So even in her final moments, one of her final things she said, even to her, my cousins and was, I'll, I'll see you at the play. And a number of my family came out to see the play when it was staged. And it was very emotional for us all to get together. We hadn't seen each other since her funeral. Even as I'm telling you this, I'm feeling very, very emotional. Yeah. And what, what was really miraculous that night is as we were watching it, there was this moment where the lights dimmed and it was, it was a very poignant moment for this to happen. But one of the rocking chairs just started to rock on its own right there on stage. And, and I wasn't the only one wow. that saw it. A number of other people saw it as too. You know, it could be any number of things, but to us, it really felt like she, she told us she would see us at the play. And then there she was. Now she's, she, her spirit uh, lives on as part of the play. So when I saw the, the Pixar story about um, the man who created Onward and how he included his family story into that, I'm sure there's so much more he could share with us around what happened after, because he does say that he didn't tell his brother about the story. And then he invites him to see it for the first time with everybody else. And, and just I'm amazing. I, would, wonder yeah, I was what, like, yeah, I wanted to know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So because there is that impact, there is that relationship where, um, some, you know, the people you know, and the experiences you have ex influence something, but then you create something and then that goes on and the story continues. It doesn't end there. And we need to remember that, that we can make an impact through our work. So thank you for letting me uh, share that with you, because that was truly a, a magical and memorable moment. And uh really great. So I'd love to hear a yeah. little bit about about your work. And I know you've always got a lot of different things on the go. What have you been working on recently? And have you seen this magic turn up in that? Well, I'm doing a quilt to honor my dad, but that wasn't really what I wanted to talk about today. The quilt to honor my dad is is magic to me because it feels like dad would just, I, I said to my husband last night, if dad were still alive, I would turn this into a full quilt for him because I know he would love it. I've kind of got it in the back of my mind that this is going to be for my brother, and I hope he's not listening to the podcast or he's not going to be surprised when he gets it. But there's just a, a sense of connection that I have with that. But the picture I wanted to share with you this morning, another one that, that's hugely personal to me, is this one. And I don't know if you can see it. We're going to post a picture of it. I'm just showing it to, to oh, Jessica wow. right now. It's beautiful. It's all, this started out as a throwaway piece, believe it or not. I was doing a Christmas gift for a very dear friend whose nickname is Bear. And I know she listens to this, so she's going to, this will be, this is part of your story, Bear. And I wanted to honor the fact that she really helps me stay grounded, but and also helps, she's someone I trust when I need to go to for is this working? Is that working creatively? You know, what color would this? We just seem to have be on the same wavelength. And I just, I trust her feedback as being caring and coming from a generous place. And that's a big deal. And as anybody who's creative knows. And so I created, I started out, my process is to do a little bit of a watercolor, to paint it. I take my idea and I painted it out. And I do have that in my, my sketchbook. I work it all out in my sketchbook. And then I decided I was going to do this in fabric because I love the kinesthetic feel of fabric. I did this piece that I showed you and it was just the black fabric with the colored bear on top of it, nothing else. 
because I wanted to see how that would look. And I wasn't satisfied with it. So I did another piece, which I really liked. It was it was uh, dyed fab fabric I had dyed and the way I did the quilting around the bear to give it more energy. And I put in the, the uh, beads to recognize the Big Dipper, Ursa Major. And so this became a whole thing. And this is what she got for Christmas. Well, this little throwaway piece, the test piece, was at the bottom of a pile of fabrics, patches and things that I had kind of tossed into a corner. And I was straightening up my studio I guess maybe just before Christmas, and I came across it and I thought, well, I feel like doing a little bit of hand work with the needle. I wonder what I could do with this. And then I got started and I started doing the little stitching and then I put some beads on it and then I did stars. And then before I knew it, I had this piece that I call Spirit Bear. I've mounted it on a piece of canvas with actual gold leaf around it so that it pops out of the canvas. And it means so much to me, first off, because of my friendship with, with Bear. But also, I remember I was going through a very difficult time in my life, maybe about 15 years ago. And someone told me, yeah, but you're a real mama bear. You know, don't, you'll, you're fine with everybody else and doing things. But if somebody goes after your kids, you're, you're a mama bear there. So there was that that I've always kind of owned. Like, yeah, I, I would be fierce for my children. But there's also that bears, I just love bears. They, they, there's a sense of mystery and they're invisible until suddenly they are in front of you. And that, I've had that happen where I've been going down a road and all of a sudden there was just a bear there. When I went up to the Yukon, they were everywhere and I would always stop and try to get pictures and things. They're hugely symbolic, the power of them and uh, the maternal instinct of the mother bears, all of that just really appeals to me. And so this picture is highly personal to me. And somebody asked me if I was willing to sell it. And I'm not sure I am because it just feels like a piece that I want. So as I said, my process at this, this time, journal and sketch, do a painting. But I think fabric is where I finally let it out and it, and it evolves into something that I want to show. That's where it becomes personal to me. Yeah, I just, I like using the tools and the skills at my disposal to express myself but I'm really digging in trying to find that rock bottom emotional truth. When you said you were almost in tears at that moment of speaking about it, to me, that's the rock bottom. If we used to do a thing called, um, I used to do it with Sue Reynolds and you may have done it. It's called uh, proprioceptive writing. Have you ever done that with her? Where yeah. you'll write something and then you'll circle the, the words that have a little bit of an emotional buzz for you and say, okay, what do I mean by that? And you just keep going deeper until you finally get to that thing where you feel that emotional connection, deep emotional connection. And that's the rock bottom for me. That's what I'm looking for. I don't want to be up here intellectual. I want to go into those depths where people feel we're connected. Yeah. And it has a feeling, doesn't it? It has a, it has an emotional response in you while you're creating and it can come out as goosebumps. Sometimes my breath will literally be taken away. Sometimes I'll notice I get up and I start pacing around the house and I've got this physical energy I need to just get out because something has yeah. stirred within me. And that's when I know I've hit that place where the magic is and that I need to kind of keep moving through that to hold on to that because it's a great place to be. And for me, it's not something that you can just show up at. Like, you know, when we think about the idea of what people, places, arts and things inspire us, it starts with that first thing that ignites the project, but what sustains it, what keeps the fire going and fuels it 
is the magic as you continue to go deeper and deeper into understanding, well, why is this here? And why am I going into that? And then we can find sometimes that there's patterns that come up in our work that um, we repeat. And even I, I've noticed that, you know, over 20 years of creating things, I seem to be coming back to the same patterns often. Has, is that something you've noticed in your work? Yeah, I, to me, it's always about nature coming back to nature. I care deeply about what's happening to the world. I worry for my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, what we're leaving them. So the patterns I come back to are usually to say something about the world that we have or have right now in this moment and what we can lose if we don't pay attention. I did a whole series on bees and, and I've sold a lot of my bee paintings because I think they speak to people. I love to watch the bees work. I've never been scared of bees, but if they disappear, we're done for as a species because that's where our food supply comes from. And I want people to look at them and find them appealing enough that they think twice before they use pesticides and plant more pollinator friendly gardens because they love the bees too. And so the pattern for me is that idea that we're surrounded by miracles that we don't pay attention to. We, we just walk by them every day and the bees are one of them. That's um, beautiful. What about you? What are your patterns? Well, I, I, for me, it seems to be identity <laughs> seems to be the one that keeps coming back up. Uh, maybe I'm still in my adolescent loop of who am I and why am I here? Uh, but <laughs> that seems to be where, where I'm at. That nature is absolutely central in terms of symbolism for me and learning from nature and using nature as a mirror and a way to deepen relationship. But it seems to always come back for me to the questions of who and why and looking at those identities of truth ideas of identity and truth. I love the idea of a quest and a transformation story. So even in movies, I love it when I can watch a movie that shows the transformation of the human spirit. I, I notice I, I tend to do, not only do I tend to write a lot about cycles and spirals, but when I look back over work after I've finished it, I notice that I often will loop through themes again and again, that that's, that spiral seems to really dig into things. And certainly the butterfly is a central theme of transformation and is, is I feel a big part of my creative process in terms of, you know, you start with that idea or the egg, and then you move into getting a little bit of movement as a little caterpillar. And then you go into your cocoon and you hold on to it and it's just yours. And then you release it out into the world as a butterfly. I have a fabric piece in my wall. That's a spiral yeah. and it keeps going out and out and out. At the very end of it is a butterfly. So oh we're on the same page. <laughs> it, it's just amazing. And, I, and, and I'm just so delighted by this show today because it's giving us a chance just to get to know each other a little bit more in our processes and our, and our, and our work. And what I loved about what you were saying earlier, like I seem to be really exploring the world inside me and, and you are really looking at the world around you. It's interesting how each individual artist, writer, um, creative has got a different mission that they're trying to fill and it continues yeah. throughout their whole life. And I've mentioned before, there was an interview years ago with Steven Spielberg and he said, you know, every movie he's ever made is about communication. And yeah. I just think, find that so interesting. Someone asked me once um, how I how to find their purpose, what it was that they were meant to do or, or say or be focused on. And I did some digging into that and I don't even remember where this came from because I'm sure it didn't come from me. I'm sure I found it somewhere. The idea was to pay attention to what makes you angry. And the flip side of that is what your purpose is. 
So what makes me angry is selfishness and seeing people think that they have the right to do whatever they want to their fellow person or to the nature, to the world around them, that their needs are more important than anything else around them. And so for me, the flip side of that then is respect. And so when I'm painting my bees or I'm painting a picture of the garden or something, it's about respecting that beauty and that life that's in front of you at that moment to understand that even the bee has a right to be alive. And I remember I was on a plane, I was headed to the Yukon a few years back. I was going up there to spend a couple of weeks. I was sitting next to a woman and she had been living there for three or four months. And she says, oh, wait till you see all the bears up there. She's there everywhere. She said, I had a bear in my backyard and I called the ministry about it. And he said, ma'am, it was his backyard first. And I thought, yes, that's yes. it. <laughs> it's yes. your backyard first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to learn how to live in harmony with this, not not feel mm. like we have the right to, to do what we want to do. Yeah. And you Just know, lately, absolutely. And, 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 and I do think that even though my quest is very individual in that search for identity, I think it's part of a bigger picture in terms of my Métis heritage and the years, like, you know, the, our family name was changed to hide the identity. And, and then there was this disconnection from identity. And so I do think that it's interesting to me that, you know, this work that I creative work that I began over 20 years ago is still resting in that theme, but the insights that I'm getting and the important family knowledge that's coming into that, because I feel very proud to be Métis and I feel very um, happy to be the one in my family who is bringing the stories back, who is helping people to reconnect. And I have cousins reaching out to me every week who are recognizing the value in in reclaiming that identity and asking for help and saying, well, how do I do this? And what do I need to do? And it's just been such a gift to, to work through that process with them. So, and help them to transform through this knowing and, and reclaiming is just, just amazing. So it, and then the, just the other thing I'm thinking is it's fascinating too, how, you know, I was talking about my play earlier and now I'm working on this poetry collection, which I keep talking about. And it's because it's very forefront in my mind. I'm working on it a few hours a day because uh, when I like on the weekends and things when I'm off, when I have creative time, it's exploring a lot of the same themes. And I, I didn't notice that when I first wrote the poems, it's now that I'm working through it and putting them in an order and doing the revision process that I'm like, wow, this is the same theme from my play, but it's appearing in a different way. And at a different maturity level and a different understanding, and it has different insights. You know, it just struck me as you were talking about my quilt that's honoring my father. And I'm, to me, it's very different than anything I've done. It's a picture of a car. I mean, it's very mechanical and dad standing in front of this, his first car, but it fits in with my theme because my father was the one who taught me as a child that you respect everyone everybody deserves their your respect because that's what people are looking for they want respect and so this theme of respect started with my father mm -hmm. and I, I didn't make that connection until just now and you were talking and i'm thinking oh family yeah that, that that's where it's come from yeah well, and I can see that in that. I've seen images of that work in progress and you can see the the way that he's standing and even the way the car is, 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 is they're interdependent and they both stand in their own place. It's, it's quite 
amazing how you've captured that. And, and that's the magic of the subconscious, right? That you were talking about earlier is getting, letting the technique, letting all of that fade away and letting that subconscious rise up. And then even as creatives, we can often surprise ourselves with what we've created. Yeah. I remember someone said it was an art, a famous artist, you know, that was talking about the art critics who were reading things into his work. And he says, you know, I just painted it. You know, I, I don't know what was in there. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to just, we don't, we don't need to be so precious that we have to try and figure it out beforehand. We just need to trust our subconscious to get in there and give us the raw material that we need and allow it to come to the surface. So any final thoughts on the people, places, arts, and things that inspire you? Or um, is there anything that, that you're thinking, like we've been talking about ourselves, I'm just wondering if we can flip it outward now and maybe give give our listeners just uh, a final last word on how they can do that. And uh, maybe I'll go first. I think it comes back to what I started saying at the beginning, and it's it's the the right, the truth to yeah. to kind of sit in that and wait for those goosebumps or that physical response to come and then go more deeply into that in whatever you're creating. I think I actually have um, directions on how to do the proprioceptive writing. And that's a great way to get to the what I call the bedrock of what it is you want to do. So part of my process anyways, and I know it's not part of everybody's process, is to journal about a concept that we're doing. I'm looking at creating a piece for a, a call for entry in the theme is words fail. So I'm doing a lot of journaling around that. What do I want to say? I think it'll be a very different piece. But I would encourage people that if they're looking to go deeper to get to that truth, and again, it doesn't have to be autobiographical. That's really not what we're talking about. We're talking about what is that human underlying human theme connection that speaks to you at that moment. And the good way to find that is that proprioceptive writing. I will find that and we'll put that up there so people can pull it down and and play with that if they'd like in their journaling. I think it's a great way to get to that truth that we're talking about. Awesome. So we'll put that in our playlist. And for listeners that are just tuning in, our playlist is is quite simply an invitation to play. It's a list of stuff that helps you take the ideas that we've been exploring in today's episode and go a little deeper into them. So I've added a link to my blog so you can see a little bit more about some of the themes I've been exploring and a link to some pictures of my play Once Upon a Rocking Chair. And I've put a link into my blog and on that you'll find a gallery which shows some of my my paintings. Um, I'll get this bear painting up there too so that people can, or it's not a painting, this bear fiber art up there. And also I've put in a, a link to the Studio Art Quilts Associates for people for people who are wondering um, what just what art quilts are all about. These are not quilts that go on your bed. These are works of art that are done with fiber and thread and paint and all of these things. And there's some beautiful examples on the Studio Art Quilts Associates website that you may be interested in seeing. Amazing. So what's up next? What's our next show? I think we've got a book review coming up. We do. This is one of my favorite books. It's by an an author called Austin Cleon, and it's How to Steal Like an Artist. And I just loved that one. You know, it's like it it intrigued me the title first because stealing is a no-no, but he goes a lot deeper into that. And there's a lot to unpack with this one. So it'll it'll be an interesting conversation. I love it. I can't wait. So we'll see you then and see you later, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone. April, are you here to close off the episode? Just wanted to remind you, we started out with a question about what inspires you. And we know we used some words in this episode that may seem kind of formal, like theme and communicate. But what we're really talking about is what interests you? What lights up your face? What do you feel passionate about? 
take some time to think about that this week because those are the things that should show up in your uh, creative work. Ask the people who know you best if you're having trouble figuring it out because often they can see what catches your attention when it's visible to you. Everyone else around you can see it very clearly. So it's always a good place to start with people that really know you well. Starting there is a good thing because it might not be where you end up, but having a starting point is the only way to begin a journey, especially your creative one. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. You can find more podcast episodes and today's playlist at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. And you can learn more about our creative work at our individual websites. So you can learn more about me, Jessica, at sunshineinajar.com and more about April at aprilyjanes.com, A-P-R-I-L-L-E-J-A-N is in November, E-S.com. If you have any hummingbird questions for us to explore, we invite you to let us know. At thehummingbirdpodcast.com.